so fun to be a part of God's church. The crazy thing about God's church is it's so diverse. Okay, it's so big. Have you ever just taken the time to consider how big the church is? Not just nationally, because I'm just going to clue you in right now. Okay, this might change some of your lives, but God is not an American. I just, I don't know. You might be just, just go ahead and, you know, write it down. What did he say? You know, just go and write that down. Google it later. Just figure it out, you know. God made all tribes and all tongues and all peoples, and they are very different in nature. And God said, that's, that's on purpose. I did that as an example. I did that as an illustration. So you wouldn't box me in and you wouldn't shrink me down and you wouldn't try and really figure me out. But instead, you would bow the knee and say, you're crazy. Capital C in the highest of compliments. Okay, when I say that, you are, you're beyond anything that a man or a woman or a team could come up with or, or, or create or imagine. The Bible says that God's plans are beyond our understanding, that no eye has seen or ear heard or that have looked upon the things that God has in store for those that love him. If it weren't so, I wouldn't be here on this Sunday. I'd be out golfing. Can I get an amen? If that weren't true, why would I be here wasting my time with you guys? But instead, it is true. And this is no waste of time. And anything and everything you do for the Lord will not return void, but will come back with temporal fruit and eternal fruit. Jesus changes lives. Here's the problem, though. The devil doesn't want you to believe that. The devil wants you to get it twisted. The devil wants you to believe different lies and different theologies and different doctrines of the world. The devil wants you to get distracted by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. The, there's a whole war going on, and so guys like Clyde going to Haiti, like, whoa, no way. I think, how, uh, and we have to process that, and young men like Noah and Kevin doing what they do. And today's message, really any message from this book, is designed to stir you and to grab a hold of you, lest you also be lulled to sleep in this life and end up going somewhere arriving somewhere where you had no intention of being. Don't, don't raise your hand, but have you ever just fell asleep during life, maybe a year or two or a dozen, and pretty soon you're like, why did I get here? I don't want to be here. And the Lord begins that extraction process, that rehabilitation process. And that may be exactly what's happening today, that the Lord would say, hey, got, got your attention? Life's short. You only get one shot, and then the judgment. That's the, that's, that's the way it works. There is no karma. There, there is no reincarnation. Okay? You're not going to come back and give it another try. Okay? By the way, the people that believe in reincarnation are so crazy. To think that you're going to have a chance to come back and do it again based on how you did the first time. That means you're going to come back as a stick. <laughs> underwater. You know what I'm saying? Like, based on how you're doing, like, all the mistakes you've made, like, what? No thanks. God says, no, no, that's, that's, that's all made up. That's made up. That's made up. Reincarnation is crazy. You don't want to come back based on how you did the first time, okay? You want to be saved by grace and grace alone. You want to be co-heirs with Christ. You want to be those who have been forgiven by his stripes, okay? That's the good news, not good advice. And Jesus says, come on to me. Anybody who labors and is weary and heavy laden, anybody who's got problems, anybody who's got issues, anybody who's made mistakes, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, there's room for everybody. Well, how do we know there's room for everybody? Just look around at what I've created. 
I'm not running out of space. I, I'm not stingy. I'm not broke. I'm not even boring. I'm actually pretty fun. And God says to you and to me, he, he, he I don't want to use the word beg, but he pleads with us to listen. To, to, to listen. Every, every sunrise, every sunset, every blooming flower, every leave that turns brown, it's the Lord pleading with you. Look, look, look at what I'm doing. This is all for you. A couple nights ago, it was really nice out. My wife and I were in our backyard, kids asleep. Best time of the day. Right? Am I right or am I right? You know what I'm saying? It's a good day. And, and we saw a couple shooting stars just flying by. Oh, saw one. Oh, saw one. You know, a couple just shooting stars. We're talking about stars and how far they are away. And the sun is our star. We get one star, just one. Newport doesn't see it, but it's okay. You know, it's just we get one. And it'll take you eight minutes to get there at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Eight, eight minutes, you'll pass the sun. And if you continue going, it'll take you 4.3 more years at that same speed to get to the next star. Just, there's, there's two for you. you. You saw two. And if you go beyond those stars, it'll take you a million light years to get to the edge of our galaxy. Just to the edge of our galaxy. And of the galaxies that are available that have been discovered, there are literally billions of trillions of galaxies. And we saw a couple just flying around. God loves you. God has called you you. God has accepted you. Here's the crazy part. God actually made you. Even more special are you than those stars, which NASA and astronauts, and I applaud them, I thank them. More special are you than those stars that we spend millions and billions of dollars photographing. Got a picture of Pluto. Really? Then what? Nothing. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, you know. And yet God says, you're so much more precious. Your soul is eternal. God has done a work in you. And the question is, is how's that going to impact you? In, in the past many studies, we've been seeing Jesus deal with two different ditches that will keep you out of fellowship with him. One is the ditch of rebellion, carnality, and sin. Okay, don't do that stuff. It'll just keep you out of fellowship. Don't be an idiot. Okay? God's given us his law in order to have fellowship with him. Don't do dumb stuff. Okay? And he rescues you out of that. That's my testimony, by the way. I got rescued out of dumb stuff. Anybody, anybody get rescued out of dumb stuff? Where's my people? Where's my people? Okay? Okay? And when I got rescued out of dumb stuff, the temptation is to get rescued out of that ditch, meet Jesus in the middle of the road and give him a big high five. Hey, Jesus! You know, and then land in the other ditch that he rescues people out of. You ever overcorrect? You know, I'm saying, you're all over the place. And the other ditch isn't one of rebellion and sin and carnality, foolishness and stuff. It's the, the, the ditch that will also keep you out of fellowship with him. That's the ditch of religion and legalism and actually replacing God with your set of rules that make you feel good about yourself. If I just do this and don't do that, I'm actually doing pretty good. And God's over here saying, I think you're actually doing pretty good too, but I miss you. I kind of like, I miss you. You're over here being a legalist and a weirdo, and you're, you're doing better than, than most, but it's not actually what I intended. And so Jesus comes on the scene and saves the demoniac and the leper and the paralyzed guy and Levi, the tax collector, and then he goes head on, toe-to-toe with the religious guys. And he changes the whole Sabbath orientation, says, I am the new Sabbath, okay? It's not all about your rules you've made to stay righteous. I am your righteousness. And he begins this work, and we ended the story last week with Jesus at a church service like this one. All eyes were on him. 
And there was a dude at that Sabbath service, that Saturday religious service, with a withered hand. His right hand was paralyzed. This guy needed help. This guy needed healing. And so we went to church. I think that's a good idea. Need help? Need healing? Just go to church. Well, the religious community wouldn't have it. This guy had been to church previously, wasn't helped, wasn't healed. Jesus shows up. And Jesus looks at this man. Then he looks at the rest. And they've got their gospel guns, their tasers loaded, ready to take Jesus down. Remember the story? Because if he heals this man on the Sabbath day, that's a really big no-no. You can't get healed on a holy day. Who made that rule up? Rule makers. Rule makers. Well, you guys know the story. Jesus called him to the center. Okay, step one. Then he said, extend your hand. And instead of what I would do, which is extend my good hand, <laughs> he had more faith than I do, and he extended his bad hand. And it became as whole as the other one. Here's the simple takeaway, application. Whatever Jesus says to do in your life, if you're caught in religion or you're caught in rebellion, if you're out of fellowship, I don't care what he calls you to do, do it. You might argue, I don't make no sense. I can't extend my arm. I can't do this. I can't walk away from this addiction, this rebel thing. I can't stop that. Or I can't really understand how this is okay over here. And Jesus would call you out of both ditches just by sheer obedience. As a matter of fact, when you finally figure out what the commands of God are, to walk humbly and to do justly and to love mercy, Okay, to walk with him all the days of your life, to love God and love others. Those are the main two that matter. By the way, if you do those two, all the other ones kind of fall into place. Love God and love people. Like, I can't love people because they're unlovable. <laughs> you know, as soon as somebody becomes lovable, I'll love them. <laughs> and the Lord would say to you, hey, do what I say. And I'm telling you what, miracles await you. When you step out in the commands of God, you find the enablements of God right behind you. Not one man, not one woman in the scriptures that ever did anything phenomenal or amazing did so in and of their own power. You realize that, right? It was always by God's power and their sheer, small, simple obedience. Every story, Old and New Testament, are designed to show God's power with our simple obedience. Gideon is one of my favorite stories of all. God calls Gideon, hey, would you deliver the people? You look like the right guy. He's like, well, I'm kind of hiding out in a closet making Twinkies for myself. I'm not sure how you think I'm the right guy. He's like, yeah, we'll get to that later, but you're the right guy. He calls him out, and, and Gideon amasses this army, 32,000 in number or something, and God says, you know what? Bottom line, here's the deal. You're going to win. And with this many people, you're going to take the credit. So why don't you whittle it down? And he whittles it down to 300 men. And God finally says, perfect. That's the exact number you need to go win a war against savages. It's like, what are you doing? And the Lord says, hey, trust me. More simple are the commands that God gives to you and I. He's not calling us to go to battle against nations. That's not what he's calling us to. But he is calling us into a lifestyle of service, humility, forgiveness, meekness, self-denial. Call it maturity. Call it others-mindedness. And yet you, if you're like me, you're kind of an American. You're like, you know, well, I kind of want to make sure I keep it real. I don't want to go all in. And I'm not sure if I could even do that and commit to something outside of going to church, you know, once every three weeks or whatever the case is. And the Lord would say, know my commands and do them. And there will be miracle power waiting for you. That's what this guy showed. As a matter of fact, look at verse 10. And when he had looked around at them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. 
I pray right now in Jesus' name that God would give you some sort of instruction for your life that is difficult, that, that needs to happen though. If it doesn't happen, it will remain withered, paralyzed, sick and broken. But that the Lord would say, this is what I want you to do. That, that right now, even, even now, right now, the Lord would show you that I need you to let go of that. Right now, put that on the altar. Don't take that home with you. Let that person go. Let, let that habit go. But I can't, Lord. And the Lord would say, okay, okay. You're still accepted. You're still forgiven. But you will remain in your paralysis. Okay, we'll, we'll try again next week. It's crazy. The amount of healing that God wants for us to walk in, and yet we argue. Can't do that. Can't walk on water. Can't walk on water. Can't have a slumber party with hungry lions, you might say to Daniel. Can't do that. Can't go sleep in a lion's den. It's not going to work. And yet after Daniel spent the night with the lions, maybe taught them a few nursery rhymes, eeny, meeny, miny, moe catch a tiger by, you know, whatever. The next day, Darius the king's like, oh! And Daniel's like, God hooked a brother up. That was crazy. What does God want to do in your life? What area right now, according to God, is withered? It's just not right. It's, it's messed up. What does he want to do in your life, and yet the impetus the decision, the next step is on you. If you're religious, you'll respond like these guys. Look at verse 11. But they were filled with rage, and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Whoa, that doesn't make any sense to me. Jesus just healed a guy. Jesus called a guy out of his paralysis into new life, and the religious camp can't handle it. The rebellious camp, they're probably partying. They're pretty fired up. It's a good, it's a good day. And the first word I want to just put out there for you this morning, what area is weakened, atrophied, neglected, hurt in your life as a Christian? And may the Holy Spirit say, just let's do this. Let's walk in that. Free will is kind of a crazy thing, isn't it? Because you don't have to. You can sit there, and you can stay there. You can. It's your choice. And the Lord will cause the sun to rise tomorrow in all its glory in the valley. And the Lord will cause the sun to set and the stars to shoot. In the seasons, to, he'll do it. Masterpiece. Thomas Kincaid. You know what I'm saying? He'll just do it. Trying to impress you. That's what he does. Well, there's going to be two reactions. These guys, they get enraged. just boggles my mind. But our rebellion shows itself in so many different ways. Look at the next verse. It says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12 whom he named apostles. Verses 14, 15, and 16 list the 12 apostles. Stop right there. Eyes up here. It says in verse 
12. In those days, he went to a mountain to pray all night long. Consider what's going on. In those days, which days was it? Okay, it was the days of great blessing. Demonized people being healed. Those who were bound by afflictions were being set free. All disciples are amassing. Can you imagine the success Jesus was walking in at this moment? Looking behind him, seeing 10, 12, 100, 200 crowds. And all of a sudden he realizes this thing's taken off. You know what I better do? Go to the mountain and pray. I better take this blessing this responsibility, this opportunity God's given to me and bow the knee and say, Lord, are you for real? You've made me a successful businessman. You've put me in, a, in an industry that's thriving. You've given me American citizenship at this time in history. What should I do with my life? One of the best times to pray is when things are going good, when you're being blessed when things are excelling, not necessarily being neglected, but things are growing. As a matter of fact, you see this on the football field. When a man scores a touchdown, oftentimes he'll point to the sky, you know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus really wanted me to win, you know, or whatever. You know, he's giving credit to God, like, that's God, he helped me out. It says, at those days, Jesus went to the mountaintop to pray. The days of blessing. But it wasn't just blessing, there was also burdens. That is, these people were enraged to kill him. And Jesus knew his days were limited and his time was important and it would one day end. And so because of that, he bowed the knee. Under the pressure and the trial and the test, he was crushed by that weight and checked in with heaven to receive instruction for the next day. Don't just pray when things are good, but I'll tell you what, you better be in the habit of praying when things are good. Count your blessings one by one. I'm sure the rhyme goes on, I don't know it, but... Just be blessed and thank the Lord. But those days that are hard and difficult, what's your knee-jerk reaction? Is it to bow the knee or to look for someone's face to connect it with? <sighs> React some way. What do you do when you're burdened and trials are bound? There's a lot of different things we do. Some people clean their houses. You're welcome to come to mine. <laughs> some people exercise, you know. Some people, you know, drink and... And some people just Netflix and chill and, you know. What do you do when you're tripping, when you're stressing? Okay, let me just say it this way. Jesus is 100% man, so he relates to us, but he's also 100% God. And there he does not relate to us. And if he's 100% man and 100% God and he goes to pray during this time, how much more so you, who are 100% man and not 100% God, need to pray? If he did it, and I believe this is one of the greatest disciplines neglected by the church today prayer one of the greatest disciplines we neglect because we can have it our own way we can we can solve our own problems we can finance them we can we can upgrade them we can dodge them we can hire private investigators for them we can we can do it all we can do whatever we need to do without god's help god says hey don't do it that way take my cues i'm jesus christ in order to pray this way let me just say this, it'll never happen accidentally. You know that, right? You'll never accidentally go to a place and pray for a long period of time. It will never happen on accident. It's kind of like waking up one day on accident and in shape. <laughs> you know, I just woke up this way. <laughs> no, you didn't. You went somewhere and worked hard many days in a row. And also, in order to be physically in shape, you didn't go certain places and indulge 
There's certain things you do, certain things you don't do to, to achieve greatness in anything. You sit here tonight. It's not even tonight yet. You sit here now, saved by grace, okay? Afforded excellence and greatness by his gift. Then what? He says, I got you a lifetime membership, God's gym. And I'm going to let you then work it out. How are you going to take, how far are you going to go with this? Are you going to step in and serve? Are you going to do more than you ever imagined you could do? Or are you just going to stay a member, lifetime member? Praise God, you're a lifetime member, okay? Guaranteed by, by grace. But you don't know your way around God's gym, what, what he would have for you. you. You haven't taken the time to invest. Look what Jesus does here. He goes somewhere and prays diligently. Again, these two things will never happen accidentally. He went somewhere specific to pray, and he took the time so that he could pray. I'm going to be honest with you. In my flesh, I wish there was a fast track to spiritual greatness. Okay? Do, do you wish there was a YouTube video you could watch today that would make you a spiritual giant? Would anybody watch that? Okay? If I had pills on the stage right now, and I promised you that $1,000 per pill will make you a spiritual giant. Would you fork $1,000 over to be like the Apostle Paul? Raise your hand. Don't lie to me. You would do it. If it worked, I'd get one for my wife too. You know, I was like, yeah. Here, here, here's the deal. No fast track. Okay? You have to avail yourself to God daily. There has to be work put in. Some of you... I almost said most. I don't want to say that. Some of you will not do this your entire life. Ah, I'm not really into it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to press in. I don't want to go deeper. I don't want to do more. And unfortunately, free will will allow you that future. And yet, if you're here today or tonight, I'll be back here at 6. If you're here today and you say, I, I believe that you only live once and then the judgment and God gives us an opportunity to co-op with him into greatness. Lord, I would like to sign up for that. Lord, I would like to be called a sent one just like these guys. Lord, I would like to do what I need to do. You do what you need to do. Open up the door. Pave the road. Give me the power. But I'm going to show up daily. I'm going I'm to put the work in. This is a timely message for a lazy church. And I don't mean this church. I mean the church it broad, broad, broadly. Yesterday in Southern Oregon, there at Mount Ashland, was the SOB race. Stands for Siskiyou Outback. I don't know what you guys were thinking. <laughs> but it was yesterday. And my wife, she's on Instagram and saw that, oh, it's the SOB race yesterday. I was like, ah, oh, the SOB race. Eddie Townsend and I trained for the SOB race in 2007 and again in 2008. It's a 31-mile race at a mile-high elevation. You go about 18 miles towards California through the mountains and then kind of turn around and run 18 miles back towards Oregon. And you do this loop in the Red Mountains there and the Ashland Mountain, all this stuff. And in order to do a race like that and avoid the ambulance upon the finish line, you have to train. You have to work hard for, for that race. You have to do things before that race in order to finish that race. Does that make sense? There were days in our training, we knew the race was coming, July 17th, 2007. I got the finisher's mug to prove it. We knew that race was coming. There was B days, Eddie would text or call, hey, you want to run 13 miles tomorrow? No, <laughs> not at all. We're not runners, we're fake, we're, we're pretenders. 
we just want to do this. But in order to do well on that day, we had to put in the work on those previous days. And so there was many runs where we would meet at the lake there in Ashland and run 13 miles and 17 miles and 20 miles training for this race. And you would never do that unless you had signed up for something greater than you. And if you're a Christian here today, I'm not even going to ask you to make promises or to do something amazing, but instead to say, Lord, I'd just give, give me my course. How do I train for what's next? You're so diverse. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm young. I'm old. I'm married. I'm single. I don't have kids. I've got too many kids. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got this going on. Lord, how are you going to use me? And say, Lord, would you use me like a star? Would you use me like Kevin? Would you use me like Noah? Would you use me like Clyde? Would you use me like somebody? And the Lord, guess what? He is so faithful. That even in this instance, Jesus comes out and he calls the 12. Now, if you're like me, you grew up in a Christian family and maybe you didn't know the chronological order of Jesus and the timeline here that Jesus comes on the scene as the Messiah and begins to lead and amass a bunch of disciples, not apostles yet. And after a short time of getting all of these people following him, he stops and says, now let me identify the 12. And in order to identify the 12 well, he prayed all night long. Why did it take him all night to identify the 12? And what was that prayer time like? I don't know. It doesn't say. But I wonder if when Jesus was praying to the Father, okay, tomorrow's the day. We got a lot going on, big blessings, and they're going to try and kill me. I need to assemble my team of game changers. And I wonder if Jesus, wrestling with the Father all night, said, you know what? I've got a couple guys identified. This particular one over here, he's real good with numbers. He'll be able to get the organization forward. This guy over here, he's real good with his hands. He can kind of make some stuff. And this one's really good with the kiddos. He can do VBS. And I wonder if Jesus was talking with the Father, and the Father said, nah, not those guys. And then the father revealed to Jesus the guys that he had picked. I want you to pick Peter and Jesus while praying. Come again? Peter? <laughs> have, you, have you ever tried to talk with Peter? He cuts you off. He, he takes the microphone. He's always saying stupid stuff. I, he comes into the party and the conversation starts talking. I just walk away. He's so, he, Peter, really? Okay, Peter. And Andrew, his brother, What? Father, Andrew has the worst ideas. Have you ever heard his ideas? His ideas are horrible. Andrew was the one who brought a Lunchable to Jesus to feed the masses. Like, oh, a Lunchable. Good job, Andrew. Way to think outside the box. You know what I'm saying? It, maybe Jesus was pushing back, and, and maybe Jesus said, I want you to bring James and John as well, these other two brothers. James and John. These two young, egotistical jocks always competing with one another. When John raced Peter to the tomb, he noted in his gospel, uh, no one really knows who won, but I beat him there. You know, it's like, you know, kind of this young jock. And when James and John went in to go get a Motel 6 at Samaria early in Jesus' ministry, they wouldn't rent to him. And so their idea was, let's just kill everybody. Let's just kill everybody. We'll take over the whole town, you know. And, and maybe Jesus was saying, James and John, <laughs> the sons of thunder, Wow, I did not see that coming, you know. And, and maybe God revealed to Jesus, hey, on your A team, the A apostles, capital A, you're going to have Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, on there. And, and Jesus would say, really? He doesn't even talk. He's not going to get any speaking lines. He's going to be total white noise. You know, this guy's going to be background material. And he's going to, and God would say, no, him too. Him too. And, and maybe he would say, Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot was a political anarchist, you know, like a young punk with the anarchist patch on, you know, and rioting and blogging and going to the parades. And he's like, yeah, get that guy. He's got a lot of zeal. He's the zealot and he hates Rome. And Jesus is like, this is going to be nuts. Maybe even that night when he was wrestling with the father all night 
and God revealed to him in Judas. Judas. And Jesus would say, oh yeah, Judas, also known as Thaddeus. Well, yeah, him too, but he also Judas Iscariot. Bring him too. And maybe Jesus at that time said, ah, he, he counts money weird. Something's going on behind. You know, he looks at the poor. He's not very nice. And he, you, him? Yep, him. We don't know what that night was like. He prayed all night, and he came and picked that motley crew. I would think that Jesus prayed all night so that when he picked his team, his boys, he would pick the best of the best of the best. Is that not how you would process it? The best, the cream of the crop? No, he did not. He chose these guys. You know why? So you and I would fit right in. So we would blend right in. So we would say, oh, yeah, I kind of identify with a couple of those guys. Some things going on in my character that are, I don't know, questionable. I wonder if the Lord, I wonder wonder if the Lord would ever pick me. Really? Let's let's go ahead and look. I wonder if those guys, by the way, what was the reaction like when Jesus was picking the guys? Simon Peter. Simon Peter's like, yeah, I knew it. Suck us, you know, and you know. (laughs) How do you think he responded? There was probably other guys when they got picked like, me? Are you serious? Me? I'm so scared. I hope I don't have to do anything. I hope I don't get any speaking lines. Yeah, you're Thaddeus. You don't get to talk at all. You're fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not, come on. Or maybe there was other guys while they were getting picked, they were pointing at themselves saying, me? Or maybe they picked somebody else. Jesus picked another person and said, him? He's, on, he's part of the... Think about that. You got Matthew the tax collector employed by the Roman government. You've got Simon the Zealot who kills employees of the Roman government. Like, these guys are going to be on the same team. You guys are bunk maids, you know. At the first meal where they prayed for dinner, I guarantee you, these two guys didn't close their eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't trust this guy. I'm going to keep one eye open. He's going to shank me, you know, if I close my eyes. This guy's out to get me. I'm not doing it. I guarantee you. I want you to fall more in love with Jesus. I want you to even wake up from your slumber. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your allegiance? How do, you, how do you see Christianity moving forward? Here's the crazy part to me. If I was on the committee, I wouldn't let Jesus pick anybody. I'd say, Jesus, you do it. You are really good at this stuff. Okay? You know the beginning from the end, like your, your, your power, like you do it. Jesus says, no. I'll save the world. By my stripes you'll be healed. By my blood you'll be saved. But it's through my message put on the shoulders of you guys that the world will know. And I would say, well, that's a risk, dude. You should just send the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit just take over. So yeah, the Holy Spirit will indwell you, men and women. And you will be those links in the chain that connect earth to heaven. And if you let me send you, if you come to me when I call you, I will take my message and put it on your shoulders and I will trust you and empower you. And there will be in your future mistakes and weakness and failure Look at Peter, look at Judas, look, look around. But I will overcome that, and I will soften your hardened heart, and I will use you even in spite of you. And Jesus has this radical idea to multiply the message and to carry this truth into the future. He calls these guys. You want to know how he called these guys? After spending a night in humble prayer, he was able to then face the day boldly. For all you men and all you women and all you moms and all you dads and all you business owners and all you coaches and all you people here who are leaders, take note. Jesus prayed humbly and then led boldly. 
He knew what he was doing. This would have been such a shock to everybody, except Peter. He saw this coming. (laughs) Everybody else, what is going on? The disciples. Jesus' ministry up until this point, listen, has been a come and see kind of ministry. Come on, check it out. Everybody's welcome. Come and see. Come and see. We're doing a barbecue, feeding people, healing people, cleansing people, teaching people. Everybody's welcome. Listen. And then there's a transition. Instead of come and see, it's now go and serve. Did you know that this meeting right here today is a come and see meeting? We want you to come and see Jesus. We want you to just come be introduced to him. You can grab a hoodie on the way out. It's a come and see hoodie. You can get, get excited about Jesus and there's stickers on the doorway and, and everything we do is a come and see at Hope in the Park this Wednesday. It's a come and see event. Okay, come and check it out. Check Jesus out. It's awesome. Our Christmas Eve services, we do three on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve's a Sunday this year. Super excited about that. We'll probably do five services and it's a come and see event and Easter's a come and see event. We bring bands in and have a good time and we baptize 73 people at our last Easter service. It's all fun and our website is a come and see website. Our podcasts that go out on iTunes southpeacechurch.com or or you can check that out and all our videos are free everything's free we ship and send missionaries all over the place it's all come and see listen there is a time in your life though where it has to go beyond come and see to go and serve to step up into that call that God has put on your life in the variety and the diversity that is humanity that finds our unity in the head which is Jesus it is amazing each and every person here is created so differently. Your history, your quirks and your kinks and your stuff. And Jesus looks at you and says, I want you to be part of my mission. I'm going to set the weight on your shoulders. I'm going to send you. He does all of this because he prayed humbly and he proceeded boldly. And let me just say this for you, moms, dads, leaders, husbands, wives, business owners and coaches and people in charge of something. You better know how to do this in your decision you're making right now. Some of you are trying to buy a house right now, trying to refinance. Some of you are thinking about moving. Some of you are thinking about getting married. Some of you are trying to stay married. Listen, I don't care what you're trying to do. You better pray about it first. Why? So that way when things get weird, because they will, I don't care what you do next, it's going to get weird. You better have some time logged in in prayer where you got God's clear word. This is going to be okay. My wife and I got married 16 years ago, and we prayed furiously. I'm not even messing. Furiously that we would know God's will. Our lives. We did not want to make a mistake. And God confirmed it was His will that we would be married. So we got married. And if you've been married for longer than a day, you know that it gets weird and wonky quick. (sighs) Love you. And because of our time spent in prayer, we got through everything. Still getting through it. Because we knew it was God's will. As difficult as it can be. That time spent in prayer, humbly, will allow you to walk boldly in your decisions you make, even when they're difficult. Seven years ago, God put it on our hearts to move back to Newport and replant this church. And so we prayed furiously. Lord, we're not doing that. I'm not moving to Newport unless you want me to. I'm not going to do any of that unless you tell us to. And the Lord told us to and wanted us to. Okay, let's do it. In the last seven years, there's been plenty of wonky and weird things we've gone through. Plenty. And we've had a smile through all of it. And guess what? There are wonky and weird things in the future. And God knows it. And we're going to be able to walk boldly into the future. Whatever you're dealing with right now, commit some time to prayer. Please. So that way when it does get weird, you'll have the boldness necessary to move forward. A couple other principles I want to just point out in this text. Jesus did pick these guys. These wouldn't have been the guys you picked probably. You would have picked differently. 
after a night spent in prayer with boldness now, Jesus calls these guys. But I would say this, past performance always reveals future performance. These guys were actually doing something when they got picked. They were disciples. They were the come and see group. They were already there doing something, showing up, setting up, who knows what they were doing. They were already part, though, of the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus said, I'm gonna take you deeper. God rarely calls a man or a woman to do something until they've done something. Can I get an amen? Just do something, okay? Do something well. Do something uh, succinctly and systematically, okay? Show up to church more than, more than once uh, every month. Show up in, in, in succession, you know, twice a month, maybe three. You know, show up and I'm just gonna serve. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna knock a few things off my to-do list and be a big boy for a second. Maybe God will do something in my life. Rarely in the scriptures, I don't even know if there are any, does God call somebody to do something that is in the middle of doing nothing, okay? They're doing something. David, tending sheep, caring for his brothers. Oh, I like that. Joseph, doing the same thing. Oh, I like that. Moses, doing the same thing. Oh, I like that. Gideon, doing the same thing. I like that. Ruth, being faithful and serving her, her family. Oh, I like that. And God looks at you. If you're, you want to be part of what's going on, do something right now, faithfully. I want to instill this so bad in my kids, Noah, Nemo, and Acacia, this idea of faithfulness, of, of, of showing up and, and, and seeing things through. My mom and dad instilled that in me, whether they knew it was working or not. It has changed my life, this idea of doing something to the end, and I believe it honors God. A couple other points I would point out. Weird teams are the best teams. This is a weird team right here, okay? You got brothers, you got family, you got businessmen, tax collectors, you got fishermen, you got zealots and anarchists, and you got political, you know, people in power. You got all kinds of diversity here. And this is awesome. And in our body here, especially South Beach Church, so blessed to be a part of this church, okay? Such a diversity, young, old, and, and, and just, all, just so many people here. It's a melting pot, I believe, of God's family, and it's so healthy because God is honored in the diversity that is connected through the unity that is himself. Now, this is going to take some maturity in all of us to respect each other and love each other in our differences. You ever looked at somebody and say, they're so different than me, I can't even be around them? Listen, there are some of the best friends in my life that because of Jesus, we're friends. Because of Jesus, we love each other. If it were up to anything else to bind us together, it just wouldn't happen. Jesus, though, brings together so many different weird people. Even our leadership team, the people that comprise South Beach Church, the volunteers and the paid staff, a bunch of weirdos, to be honest with you. <laughs> Sorry. And yet Jesus brings us together. Jesus is crazy. He allows us to love one another, to accept one another. You should really be careful if all of your friends dress the same and look the same and listen to the same music and say the same things and eat the same foods. You, you might be part of a cult if that's the case. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're, we're, you know, and, but instead, in Christ, the diversity is insane. It's so fun. These guys also are under authority, which allows them to be put in authority. If you want to be a disciple, a sent one, that's what the word apostle means, to, to be sent out in the, in the name of Jesus. You have to be under the authority of Jesus and other spiritual leaders in order to be an authority. 
And if you're good at being under authority, you can take orders, you can submit, you can do things you don't want to do, you can respect. You're going to be good as one who is over those in your authority. Maybe right now you're struggling with, what's next? I just, I want to do something. I want to, I'm not being used. Well, how do you submit well to others? Maybe that's the, the link. Maybe that's what's going on. These guys all experienced that and exemplified that. Here's another uh, principle. Every team needs a leader, okay? F- find the leader and, and follow them. Don't, don't worry about what number you are in the pecking order. As a matter of fact, there's this one guy in the book of 3 John, verse 9. His name's, I got it written down because nobody remembers it, Diotrephes. Okay, he makes the book one time. He's mentioned in the Bible once, and here's the way that John writes about him. He says, I wrote a letter to the church, but Diotrephes wants to be the leader, (laughs) and he put himself first. He will have nothing to do with us. Stop right there, eyes up here. Okay, I kind of want to be like of biblical nature, but not like this guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want my name in the Bible too, but not like this guy. This guy only made the Bible because he wanted to be number one. He couldn't follow leaders. Did you know that in this group of 12 apostles, there is a ranking system? Okay? Peter, he's the leader. He's the natural leader. Jesus, he's the least likely to succeed and the most likely to fail. Jesus says, yeah, you can, you can take a hit or two. You're going to be great up front. I'll put you, give you the biggest helmet we got. We're going to send you right in and uh, you'll be just fine. As a matter of fact, check this out. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, uh, Peter is mentioned 189 times. John comes in second at 50. Three times much exposure and press does Peter get than John. Uh, the third most exposure is Judas Iscariot. Interesting. I just want to be famous. No, you don't. <laughs> you know, you know. Philip is mentioned 17 times, Andrew 13, Thomas 11, Matthew 9, and James the son of Alphaeus 7, and so on and so forth until guys are mentioned only one time. I just would say this. Be you and be a good you. I've been in the ministry for long enough to find the blessing of being alongside of men and women who are good at being them, so freeing. Who, who know their call, know their talents, know their responsibilities, and they do it well, and they're so fun to be around. Not jockeying for position or striving or trying to get something or be something. They're just serving. Oh, such a refreshment to my heart. I've also been around leaders, those who are called, who, who are constantly weighing themselves against others and and vying and competing and analyzing and criticizing. I've been around both. Don't be like Diotrephes. Be be you, okay? And the last point I'm going to bring up is this point. Jesus called these guys. I don't even think I read the list. I'll read it to you real quick. Verse 14, Simon, whom he also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. There's two Judases, and uh, Judas uh, the son of James, his middle name is Thaddeus, and as history goes on, uh, he would introduce himself to people as an apostle, uh, the apostle Judas, and they'd say, oh yeah, I heard about you, and he'd say, no, 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 no not that one, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a different Judas, call me Thaddeus, you know, and he, he would forego that name altogether, uh, side note, side note, but these are the guys. These guys would go on to change the world because they accepted the call of Jesus. Peter would write two books of the Bible. John would write five books of the Bible. Matthew would write his gospel. They would go on to preach and to teach and to share. Listen, until they all minus one died valiant deaths. Here's the deal. Every single one of you are going to die. 
one of two ways. You're going to die like Jesus, faithful, true, focused, and right, okay, by God's grace. Or you're going to die like Judas, sell out, shamefully, compromised, selfishly. It's, those are the camps. Those are the camps. You must say, well, I'm not going to die like Judas, man. Oh, cool. So you're going to die like Jesus? Well, no, I wouldn't say that either. Oh, Judas. That, those are your choices. These guys were chosen this day, and you know their story. We'll get to know it in Luke 7 and so on, and we'll see what Jesus does through their lives. The last point I would put to your mind to close our time today is when Jesus calls you to himself, you better be ready to die with your boots on. Go until you can't go no more. Don't slow down. Don't back off. The story of the apostles is our story. Jesus called these guys, normal guys, idiot guys, diverse guys, weirdo guys, and all but one marched until they died, marched hard, paid the ultimate price. The Bible doesn't tell us how they all died, not even one, except James. It does tell us how James died. Stephen would be the first martyr. James would be the second martyr. That's John's brother. And James would die. And when James died, history tells us that as he was being led to his death, in chains, he would be beheaded. His accuser, the one who had arrested him and ratted him out, was so impressed on that walk to the guillotine, on that walk to the block, that James continued to love this man preached to this man, held his composure in front of this man, that that man, when he got there, said, you, you know what? Kind of a turn of events here. But I kind of like this message. So after you're done killing him, you got to kill me next. And he became a believer on the spot at James's death and got his head cut off as well. Jesus said, hey, James, come with me. Okay, sounds fun. What are we going to do? Stuff. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be nuts. The whole world's going to change. Did you know the whole world changed when Jesus called these guys? The whole world? History itself? D do you think that of yourself right now? No, God couldn't change the world through me. Why not? Well, because of me. Well, factor yourself out of the equation and Jesus in, okay? You plus Jesus is the majority. James would lead his accuser to the Lord. Bartholomew, one of the twelve, is said to have preached in India and translated the gospel of Matthew into their tongue. Afterwards, he was beaten and crucified and beheaded. Okay, died with his boots on. Simon the Zealot, this anarchist, this Roman attacker, changed by Jesus Christ, would ultimately be crucified, killed by the Romans. Simon Peter was also crucified, yet he was crucified upside down so as to bring more honor to Jesus, he and his wife. Matthew, who wrote his gospel to the Jews in the Hebrew tongue, went on from there uh, and converted most of Ethiopia and Egypt uh, to Christ. Hyrcanius, the king, sent someone to kill him with a spear. Imagine that. You're Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. You write the book of Matthew. You have to flee for your life. You go to Egypt and Ethiopia. There's people there. 
You lead him to Jesus, and all of a sudden one day somebody shows up, bounty hunter, spear. Died with his boots on. Philip, after years of preaching to barbarous nations, Philip the evangelist, Philip was stoned and crucified, buried with his daughter. John, John the apostle, was boiled to death in oil. You guys, most of you know that story. He's boiled to death. He didn't die, though. He lived. God wasn't done with him. And then he was banished to the island of Patmos to die there, where he received the vision of the revelation, wrote that book for us, the end times and what's coming next, the end of the story. Died with his boots on. Andrew, this is probably my favorite one. Remember Andrew, the one with the bad ideas? You know, hey, I got a Lunchable. Uh, and he second-guessed himself. <laughs> Andrew. Did you know that Peter was an evangelist and so was Andrew? They both were. Brothers. Peter would evangelize and thousands would get saved, literally thousands at a time. Andrew would evangelize and people would get saved one at a time. Just a couple, handful. Both evangelists. So fun. God's like, you, oh, you're going to crush it out of the park. And you, oh, you're going to be a sharpshooter. You're going to be perfect. You guys are about there. Do my work. Andrew. He was asked to recant his faith in Jesus and the message of the cross. And he replied with this statement. I would not have preached the honor and glory of the cross if I feared the death of the cross. He was condemned to be crucified for teaching a new sect and taking away the religion of the Roman gods. So Andrew, going toward the place of execution and seeing the cross waiting for him, never changed his expression, neither did he fail in his speech. Matter of fact, one writer goes on to detail his last moments. His body fainted not, nor did his reason fail him. As often happens to men about to die, Andrew said this, O cross most welcome and longed for, with a willing mind, joyfully and desirously I come to you, being the scholar of him, which did hang on you, because I have always been your lover, and yearn to embrace you. Whoa. Died with his boots on, after Jesus prayed for a whole night. Came out and said, Andrew, you're the guy. Most of us will not be killed for our faith, which to be honest would maybe even be easier. Instead, God calls you and I to a lifestyle of denial of our lives. Hey, deny your life. Don't get so soft. Don't, don't get so lazy. Don't get so distracted. If you believe that we're in the end times, and I do, you would think that the enemy is going to unleash his greatest attack. What if his greatest attack is just apathy, lethargy, laziness, affluence? That's what the, what's your greatest enemy right now? Uh, just, you know, I'm just distracted. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to, where to start. Okay, let me just end with this thought. There comes a moment in time where you stop the come and see and you decide to be one who's gonna go and be sent. And that's the Lord's prerogative. He'll tell you what to do. He'll show you where to go. The last thing I want for anybody here to do this morning is to make promises, to, to start running fast, start doing things. What I want you to do though is to get out of whatever ditch you're in. Rebellion, stop it. The Bible says this, you say this, go with the Bible, okay? Just read it. 
Well, I don't like what it says. I, I know, I know. Fashion your life around it, not it around your life. Trust me. Get out of that ditch. And if you're way over here and you don't even need God because you're so sufficient, self-sufficient, repent. And then let the Lord use you. And promise me this one thing. Would you, would you die with your boots on? Just keep them on. Just keep serving. Keep serving. Don't take your boots. Don't slow down. This life is the warm-up for eternal life. It's going to be a lot longer, a lot better. Okay? Everything down here is up for grabs. Do not miss what's coming next. God's free grace is here. It's flowing right now. The Holy Spirit is here to accept your simple, very simple, okay? I'm not going to have you sign anything or do anything weird, okay? Simple surrender. All right, Lord. I'll be an apostle, lowercase a, okay? Would you give me that gift? Would you send me? I don't know. Do something. I, I can be like Andrew. Sounds like Andrew was kind of cool. You just help people out. John chapter 12, right around verse 22 bunch of people looking for Jesus. They see Andrew. Hey, we're looking for Jesus. He's like, follow me. Takes him to Jesus. An evangelist. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know a guy. I'm going to have the worship team come up and lead us in a song of repentance and response, communion and worship. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I thank you so much for your for your kindness and your greatness. Or we're sitting here today, we're about to take communion and celebrate what you've done. We get to go out into the sunshine and go get some lunch and kick it with our family and friends. And then Monday is going to come and we get to do stuff. It's awesome. Because you're so good. Just like I love creating opportunities for my kids to do fun stuff. I just love doing fun stuff for my kids. It's just, I get no greater joy than taking them to the beach or to water parks or taking golfing or camping. I just love taking my I just... Lord, you're, you're even better than that. You're, you're so nuts, you just made the whole world. You made worlds that we haven't even discovered yet for us. And yet we sit here on the horns of a dilemma. Do we want to trust you or do we want to hold out? Do we want to walk in pride and rebellion? Even though you've expressed yourself so, so, so clearly? You healed a guy at a church service. And the religious there said, eh, not impressed. I'd actually just like to do away with him. <laughs> Who does that? So too, Lord, you've healed people in this room. You've healed me. You've given us your word, your declaration. And there's people here today that have to make that chance, that choice. Will I let you heal my paralyzed area of my life? Will I let you lead me? There's a moment in time where you have to go from come and see to go and serve. The very mission of Jesus was designed to be that way. He's looking for those to link with, to connect to heaven, to do his will on this earth. That is his design. And for the few men and women that are here this morning that would surrender to that, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now just to raise your hand right now to say, I would like to be a part of that link. I've got problems. I'm not perfect. I do sin I have made mistakes but I know you're real and you're right and I'm raising my hand right now because I worship you and I want to be a part of what you're doing 
and I'm not very good at much, but I surrender to you. I'm raising my hand right now. Do it. And I surrender to you, Jesus. I want to be a part of that link. I, I, uh, strengthen me, please, Jesus. Use me for your purposes. Raise your hand right now. If you're a Christian here and you want to be used for God in wherever you're at, whatever school you go to, whatever industry you're a part of, whatever hospital you visit, whatever neighborhood you live in, you would repent today of your selfishness and say, Lord, I don't want to be a part of my mission. I want to be a part of your mission. Forgive me, Lord, for being myopic and self-centered. I'm raising my hand right now. Do it right now and surrender to him. You're not making promises. You are surrendering to his lordship, his leadership. And you would say, Jesus, when you're at the mountain praying, would you pray for me? And would my name come to your mind? Would you call me to your side with all of my mistakes and failures? And would you then equip me? And would you send me? Would you cover me, Lord? Here I am. Send me, I'll go. Right where I'm at. Raise your hand. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't stay in a ditch this morning. Lord, we applaud you. We surrender to you. We need you and we trust you. So much can we trust you that when we come to the table right now, we'll be reminded of your body broken, your blood spilled. That's how serious you are. That's how good you are. And so we, Lord, with great expectation, raise our hands. And we, with great expectation, will take the bread and take the cup and we will raise them as well and enjoy what you have declared to be true. It is finished. The forgiveness of men the salvation of souls, the promise of heaven. We trust you, Lord. We do all of this examining ourselves and proclaiming your death until you return. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen.